Hey, my name is Wes Butler, and I am the director of family ministry here at our Dallas campus, and I am so humbled and thankful that you guys would um, come and join us tonight uh, to have this conversation. We uh, uh, really believe that this is an important one for us to have as we have prayed about and thought through, hey, what are the issues that we want to address uh, within our body? This is one that we continue to see uh, coming up specifically within our children and our student ministry. We're hearing about it uh, from kids. We're hearing about it from parents as they're talking about it. And so we want to help equip you tonight uh, on this topic. Um, so uh, the reason I showed you that video, if you were here live and you got to see the video uh, that we just played, is because this past Sunday night, while all the craziness was happening with the storms here in Dallas, uh, I was in Irving at the Toyota mu uh, Music Factory out there uh, and uh, watching this guy, NF, uh, on, uh, in his concert. So my son, Josiah, is 16 years old. He is a huge fan, loves listening to his music. He's introduced me to uh, all of this guy's music. So we, we listen to it uh, a lot. So his 16th birthday just came around. We bought him tickets and I took a friend and I really went kind of just, I was like, I can't wait to people watch. This is gonna be fascinating. And, and I walked into that concert and was really blown away. So I, I am a guy who appreciates great art and I appreciate people who work really hard at their art and who craft it. So just in that uh, specific way, I was moved by a guy who is a genius lyrically. Uh, I'm thankful for lyrics that are clean that my son can listen to. Uh, my understanding, uh, again, I don't know exactly, I uh, haven't had a conversation with Nate Feuerstein, who you just heard from, uh, but my understanding is he's a believer and it tends to uh, rap, but specifically he's connecting with this generation. So to be clear, this is a guy who has, his last two albums have been number one on the Billboard 200 charts. He's connecting with this generation of of kids. And as uh, I've talked to different friends and friends of my son uh, who are mad that he went and they didn't get to go, it, it's very evident that this is a guy that they connect with. And, and you see some of it in just the genuineness of what he's sharing. He's talking a lot about the angst that he feels in his own heart. He has a really difficult, challenging story, quite honestly. And if you go and read about it, you can read about some of the, the heartbreak and hurt uh, that, that he has experienced. And I just found myself on Sunday night at that concert, quite honestly, just moved. Uh, I was moved to, to tears a couple of times, and I'm not a big crier, but just as he shared some of his story in there, I, just, I felt, man, this is a guy who's been through a lot. And then, quite honestly, I was moved by, I, we, we bought pit, uh, tickets down in the pit. And so I'm standing there surrounded by a bunch of 16, 17, up to 25, 30-year-olds, one mom with her 10-year-old son behind me. We kind of commiserated. That was fun. But, uh, but you know, we're, we're sitting there, and I'm watching, and they're rapping every lyric right along with them, as you should if you're going to pay that much for a ticket, right? You want to know the songs. And, and, but I'm watching them, and I can just see this connection. And it just reminded me of why I wanted to do this tonight. One of his lyrics in that song you just listened to says this. He says, look, I've been searching. What does that mean, Nate? His name is Nate. I've been learning, grabbing my keepsakes, leaving my burdens. Well, I, bought a few, I brought a few with me. I'm not perfect. Looking at the view like this concerns me, picking out the cues, right? I'm quite nervous. Hate it when I lose sight, life gets blurry and things might hurt me. It's probably gonna be a long journey, but hey, it's worth it though. Cold world out there, kids, grab your coats. Been a minute, I know, now I'm back to Rome looking for the antidote to crack the code. Pretty vivid, I admit it, I'm in classic mode, but don't need pity given to me, but I can't condone talking down to me. I'm gonna have to crack your nose for cracking jokes. And then he says, I'm looking for the map to hope. You seen it? And that lyric, I, I mean, it is powerful to me. 
I'm looking for the map to hope. Have you seen it? And what I believe our responsibility is in this generation as parents is to help our kids understand that there is a map to hope. To show them that there is freedom from fear and anxiety, from worry that is crippling to them. The statistics today tell us uh, a number of things. So uh, right now, 7.1% of children aged 3 to 17 have diagnosed anxiety. So that means that some doctor has said, hey, they have anxiety. That's 4.4 million kids. 4.4 million. Nearly one in three adolescents will meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder by the age of 18. Based on data collected from various sources from ages 6 to 17, researchers found that researchers found a 20% increase in diagnosis of anxiety between 2007 and 2012. Uh, this is interesting. Since 1985, the uh, UCLA has been asking incoming freshmen if they, feel, if they, quote, felt overwhelmed by all that they had to do. The very first year, 18% replied yes. By 2000, that climbed to 28%. And by 2016, nearly 41% of students said that they felt overwhelmed. More than half of the college students who visited their, co- their campus counseling centers during the 2015-16 academic year reported symptoms of anxiety. The marks, uh, uh, this marks the seventh year in a row that anxiety has topped the list of most common reasons that students would come in to see a counselor. And then if we're just kind of going, well, maybe that's just, yeah, that, that's kind of global. That's, that's America. I don't know if it's really happening here. Well, my friend David Penuel, who will be up here in a minute, will tell you that when we started Regeneration for Students, our recovery ministry for students, that uh, when you come that first night, there are issue sheets that kind of describe what are some of the different issues that you might be coming to uh, uh, deal with here at Regeneration for Students. And he said the very first one that ran out was what? It was fear and anxiety. Our children are dealing with this. And as parents raising kids in this culture, this can be really daunting for us. I feel that. I feel that. And yet, what we say here in our family ministry is a couple of things. One, parents that as believers, as followers of Christ, assuming that you are, that your role in that is that of a disciple maker. You are making disciples. Whether you like it or not, it is happening. You're making disciples right now. The only question is, what kind of disciples are you making? What's the example that you're setting in front of them? And then secondly, as we think about then, if that's my role, then what is, what is a win? What is the goal here? Well, the goal in this is faithfulness. It's just my own obedience. I can't control my kids. I don't know how they're going to turn out. I can't foresee the future. But what I can control is, hey, am I taking responsibility for my own actions? And am I doing everything that I can to point them to the map to hope? And that's what we want to help parents do. But what is faithfulness to what? Well, if our primary role is that of a disciple maker, then that means that the key text in the scriptures for us to consider as parents is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's very familiar, I'm sure, to most of you here, where it just talks about uh, this is the Great Commission as it's known uh, and has been for, uh, for centuries now. But it's the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew as he's about to send his disciples off, and he looks at them and he says... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I read that text to you because I think there's a couple of really important things in that 
that little statement. If we are disciple makers and we have been charged by God, first of all, he says, look, I have authority over everything. I have authority over uh, the the, uh, creation and nature and natural disasters that might strike that well up anxiety inside of our hearts. I have authority over the evil that might come into this world. I have authority over test grades and schooling and school choices. I, I have authority over those things. I have authority over the fears and anxieties that wage war within all of our hearts. And then he says, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of the turmoil of our society, hey, go and make disciples. Make disciples right in the middle of all that. And so your God is not surprised by the fact that anxiety is something that our kids are dealing with. He is saying, no, 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 I'm coming into the midst of that anxiety and I'm calling you to disciple your kids. And then for us as parents, he gives us a final reminder, which I just continue to come back to as I think about my job as a dad. He says, Bold, I, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so God has not left us here to disciple our kids on our own. He's given us his presence, his spirit who dwells in our hearts to give us the power to be able to combat the forces of this world and to be able to bring light into the darkness. And so that is our privilege. And so tonight, we're going to have a chance to, to talk through some of the things that we're seeing and perceiving and, and hopefully give you an opportunity to grow as you think about how can I apply these things in the life of my family in a way that would bring peace, hope, and contentment, where I can provide that map to hope. And so in a minute, my friends are going to come up here and join me, and we're going to just begin a dialogue to talk through that based on some of the questions that you guys have submitted to us so that we can share that with you. Before we do, uh, if you did not register for tonight, would you please do that right now? The reason that we're asking you to do that is we'll send an email at the very end of this. It's going to have a collection of a lot of the resources that you may uh, hear us reference tonight, resources that we think will be helpful to you of sermons and blog posts and things like that. So if you go to watermark.org slash parenting conversation, You can still register for tonight if you're watching online. We want to encourage you to do the same thing so that you can get all those resources as well. But if you will do that right now, if you didn't register, if you did, you should be good to go. Um, But if you will do that right now, then that way we'll make sure that we get you the information that you need. But I'd love just to pray for us. And as I pray, my friends will come up and join me here on stage. But let's just pray that the Lord will be glorified and honored through our time together tonight. So Father, thank you that you are sovereign and in control. Jesus, we thank you that all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth, and that because of that, we can trust you ultimately. And then, Lord, that that authority is right here for us in the midst of uh, a world that is broken, in the midst of uh, of the hurt and the pain that uh, is all around us, and uh, in the midst of the fears and the uncertainties. God, you are sovereign and in control. And Lord, it is our desire as parents to lead our children to understand what it means when we give our lives to you, how you um, provide freedom from our fears and our anxieties. So Lord, will you use tonight towards that end? Thank you for these friends that are on stage. Thank you for these friends who have made room to uh, join us on a rainy night here in Dallas. Lord, I pray that uh, their stewardship of time would be honored in the way that we lead and shepherd them tonight. And uh, Father, that you Uh, ultimately, Lord, would be glorified. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us always, even to the end of the age, and that you are trustworthy. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, will you guys welcome our panel uh, on stage for me?
Uh, and so I'm going to have them introduce uh, themselves and so you get to know them. Some of them are you know already and others are going to be new friends for you. I told Todd I'm not letting him introduce his family. His lovely wife, Alex, is going to introduce uh, the Wagner family. So, Alex. I guess, are we going to, are we putting pictures up? I think there's, yeah, we have like your whole photo album, I think, Todd, yes. you sent me today, or somebody no, did. I sent them because... Oh, okay, Alex did. <laughs> we, ha- we have six kids, Todd and I do. Um, we've been married 28 years, and we have uh, the six children, which has quickly, in the last few years, grown to, um, we've added three, as our um, oldest three children have gotten married. And um, in the last two and a half years, we've added four grandchildren. So... That is Allie and Connor and their two kiddos, Ramsey and Gunner. And the reason I've sent separate pictures is because we haven't all been together <laughs> long enough to capture a picture. We have a new grand, uh, grandchild. Uh, oh, there we go. Um, Kirby and Austin, and they have a two-month-old, Harvey. And then Cooper and Logan have a about two-week-old. And um, so we have not been able to grab a, a picture of all of us together. So um, we've had a lot of fun, and have a lot of fun to look forward to with our growing family. Love it. All right, Tracy Beckwith. So, Tracy Beckwith, our family, um, we have two children, adult children, Scott, who is married to Mary Caroline, and they have Campbell, who is 19 months old, and then Hannah just got married to David um, two months ago, and then Van and I, so that's our family. And Tracy, how long have you guys been here at Watermark? Y'all have been here since the very beginning. Very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Very first Sunday we were here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, hey, my name is uh, Bo Fournette, and I've been privileged to be a part of this body since May of 2001, and I've been able to serve on the elder team since 2013. Um, and my wife and I, Natalie, have been married for 23 years, and we have six kiddos. Uh, Caleb is the oldest at age 17, going down to Isaiah, who is three. Hi guys, uh, I'm David Peniel. I work on staff here at Watermark in students, and I've been here since 2002, 17 years on staff, and I'm married to Allie. We've been married for 14 years. Tomorrow is her 40th birthday, so I'm excited to celebrate that. <laughs> and then we have three kids, a sixth grader, a fourth grader, and a first grader, Chapman, Cole, and Annabelle, and you see their picture up on the screen. Uh, that guy in the back is not part of our family. <laughs> <laughs> He's just there. He's like there. looking at the crew. <laughs> That's good. Well, David, I would love just to start with you. As I mentioned earlier, so David uh, and his team have done an amazing job of launching the new ministry here at Watermark called Regeneration for Students. And, uh, and so as I shared with you earlier, David told me this week, he goes, hey, the very first issue sheet that we ran out of at Regeneration for Students was kids saying, I, I struggle with anxiety. And, uh, and so, David, why don't you just help us kind of frame our conversation by giving us the definition from that, uh, that issue sheet and, and then even observations that you've seen. And then the first question we're really tackling, Tracy, I'll toss it to you after David, is what are those signs? Parents are asking, what are the signs I should be looking for of anxiety uh, that kids are experiencing? If it's okay, I'll hit on some of those signs. Great. Okay. Go great. for it. Well, you know, starting Regeneration for Students, uh, we're just in our first session right now, and... Uh, as Wes mentioned, we have these issue sheets, and I thought for sure uh, the first one that we would run out of and have to print more of would be uh, pornography, and it, it was second, but number one was anxiety, and so I knew that that would be up there, um, but it is a real issue uh, that these students are uh, dying uh, to find help and healing from. 
Um, and so for them, when we give them this issue sheet to help them understand what they're dealing with, here's how we define it. We put fear and anxiety together, but there are different things. We say that fear is a strong emotion caused by a real or imagined danger or threat. And then anxiety is just a preoccupation with that fear or a persistence of that fear. Um, and then we say that, you know, when you have a preoccupation with fear, when you have anxiety, it can paralyze you, steal your peace, harm your physical, mental, and spiritual self, uh, health. And so we, we give them some signs that they can look for to identify, man, am I dealing with uh, persistent fear and anxiety in my life? I think I am. And the signs that we give them are, hey, are you avoiding uh, specific events, places, situations, or people um, instead of addressing the underlying problem? So usual things that you would have done before you're starting to avoid uh, normal parts of your life. Um, are you continuously wondering or asking others if your fear is rational or constantly seeking reassurance about things? Are you focused on the negative possibilities? Um, do you feel compelled to act irrationally to prevent things you fear from happening? And then we get onto some of the physical things. Uh, are you having trouble sleeping? Uh, do you experience nausea, rapid heart rate, chest or stomach pain, muscle aches, numbness or tingling, uh, or panic attacks, rapid breathing? Um, or, or just the desire to escape a situation? Um, and then are you seeking relief uh, and abusing things like uh, illegal substances or other addictive behaviors? Are you escaping to pornography and things like that uh, because of your worries? And so that is how we set it up. Um, and kids are looking at that list going, yes, I'm dealing with many of those things in my life. And so Tracy, I think you've got some examples from your own yeah, I think I would also add if... Um there's kind of a change in their emotional skills that maybe they begin acting out one way or another, either towards isolation or trying to be the life of the party, the bigger than life person in the classroom, some sort of attention seeking that was out of character prior to some things setting in um, or some things I would add to mm -hmm. the list, David. Yeah, and Tracy, specifically, this is something you and Van experienced with your kids. Can you talk a little bit about what that season of life was like for you, what you guys began to experience and see in your kids? So both of my kids have, well, one dealt with some pretty serious fears and another anxiety. And the one with fears, we didn't know it for a long time because he didn't tell us um, what was going on. And we would not, we knew about isolated instances. We did not know it was something that was going on continuously by the same person. And he was being bullied from seventh grade till 12th grade. And while we knew about some, when a teacher would have seen it or something like that, and we thought we had dealt with it, it had continued, but he didn't, our son did not tell us um, that it was ongoing until it was actually on the watermark ski trip his senior year, the volcano erupted and he just could not handle it anymore. And then we went into a really dark season for about four months of trying to unpack and unwind um, really what had gone on for several years. Um, and it was just, it was, a, it was a really difficult time. He was isolating, um, acting out, there, was, there, were, there were a lot of different things that were going on at that time. Yeah. 
Bo, I know this is something that you and Natalie have, have walked through with your kiddos, and so why don't you share a little bit of that, uh, and, and what are some of those signs that you guys saw? Absolutely. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, I have six kids, three boys, and, and three girls, and, uh, and so I would sort of talk about all of them together, and I'll just go with the, the male uh, he as I just talk about all the kiddos. Uh, and so, for us, seeing uh, two different kids finding out uh, the same thing at the same time uh, and getting a very different response and um, moving forward to a future thing that's going to happen and getting paralyzed by it. Um, so, a, a lot of the, the anxiety or, as David said, the, the preoccupation. And, uh, and so, some of that would just be as simple as just a change in expectations. And so looking at the, the thing in isolation, you wouldn't say that's a scary thing, uh, but it was not the expectation. And so showing up uh, somewhere where we hadn't communicated ahead of time uh, that we were going to go there um, or thinking that um, the environment's going to be a quiet environment and all of a sudden it's a loud environment, um, being called on for something um, and him just getting sort of really locked down um, because that did not meet what his expectations were. Yeah, yeah. And so as we experience these things as parents, Todd and Alex, I'd love just to kind of go on to our next question, which is really about... so. How, one of the questions we got from a number of parents was, hey, how do I get my kids to open up, to talk about these things, to, to share about this? I mean, we've heard Tracy talk about, hey, this was something that, that Scott went through for five years and hadn't shared. And so what are the ways that we can, uh, some of the questions were, what are the questions we could ask? But I think a better question, honestly, is what is an environment? How do we foster an environment where our kids feel safe, secure, ready to talk about these things? And what are some of the things that you guys did in that? Um, well, I know uh, probably in our six kids, we have maybe one or two who would come to us to openly have conversation, but the other four, um, I think, would be more inclined to open up once we had a, uh, we have a round table in our dining room. And one of my favorite things that we do is we, we go around at dinner, and, and especially when they were little and they were all there, and we would talk about what our highs and lows were for the day. And, um, you know, spending time with your kids, I mean, getting, creating a culture where they're going to open up to you, that takes time. It takes time on your part. You have to make time to be with them. Um, one of the things, um, so we did do the highs and lows, and one of the great things I'm seeing now is our um, daughter, Connor and Allie, um, and her husband, uh, Connor, they um, have their little two-and-a-half-year-old, and so they were at our house recently, and my grandmother's name is Honey, and Ramsey, in her little two-and-a-half-year-old voice, she was barely talking, and all of a sudden, one day, she said, Honey, what was your high today? And out of the blue, and I was, like, so stunned. Um, but they're creating that culture of openness and asking in their own family. Um, and what I think is really great, too, is not only knowing what the high is, but also then what's your low for the day, and then taking note if their low is the same thing consistently, then that's something you want to pay attention to. And then, um, so we have three boys, three girls as well. Girls tend to talk a little bit more. We do have some guy talkers, though. Um, but I think for me, and Todd, you speak to it, but for me, creating time um, just to find time with my boys, and that might be sitting at a baseball game, uh, just the two of us, and 
you know, that just is a natural opportunity for that dialogue to happen. I was a big believer in driving carpool, and um, I didn't necessarily want to drive your kids in carpool. I wanted to make sure I was driving my kids. And um, that was always such a great time. It's just the two of you. I would think we also had that in um, just car trips, I would add, but just in our, um, in our carpool, um, just creating that time to have conversation. And then I would also add, go sit on their bed at night. A lot of times they're not going to come to you um, and just openly start talking, but if you're in their room, in their space, um, that's going to create an opportunity. Do you want to add anything? Well, I think she's, she's given you the answer, right? Yeah. Um, I was, we were with a bunch of guys today, Bo and I were doing an elder conference with some folks and they were asking about our relationship and they were just saying, Hey, you know, we don't spend very much time together. How can we have the relationship that you guys have? And I go, I mean, that's, that's like saying, you know, I don't read my Bible. How can I know the Bible like you do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I said, I've said a long time, kids spell love T-I-M-E. And I just don't think that's true. I think people spell love T-I-M-E. Yeah. And kids are people. And, and so let me just first talk to young parents. And I'm talking zero to five. People talk about sometimes how difficult it is to have a teenager. Um, it's going to get a lot harder for you if you don't do a great job zero to five. I didn't find the teenage years difficult in the sense that, um, you know, my kids didn't see me see them in trouble. And then I go charging in. Like I got something to say in their life. I had been there and I had been present. Alex had been there and been present. And, and so we had created a culture where it's normal to talk about things. So here's the very first thing. I, you know, and kids are not thermostats. They, they are thermometers in your home. And mom and dad, um, you know, you want unsettled and, and, um, and ruffled children. Create an environment where they watch you be unsettled and ruffled. But when they see love and peace and community um, and care here, right? And I, I hear guys say this sometimes. I know I'm not treating my wife right, but I'm going to be the best dad there ever was. And I go, bro, that, that's just, just so you know, that's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, the most important thing I think that you can do to bring peace to your children um, is pursue peace yourself, mm-hmm. right? You don't try and tell your kids to follow Jesus. Let them see you passionately follow Jesus. And so if you are struggling with some of this stuff, you can tell your kids, hey, I didn't have the advantage that you had maybe of growing up in a home where somebody knew that the solution to the burdens that we carry in this life is found in a God who loves us. So let them see you pursue it. There isn't just a regen for your kids. There's regen for you. There's not just a God for your kids. There's a God for you. And when they see, Paul says this, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things mm-hmm. and the peace of God will be with you. So as a parent, okay, you, you want to set an environment uh, where you're not a stress amplifier, where you are present and you're pursuing your kids. I, I tell people all the time, the number one rule of parenting is must be present to win. Okay. And when you're present, don't be crazy. In other words, you know, uh, and, if you're, and if you're a little bit crazy, t- tell your kids, hey, listen, I'm a little crazy right now, <laughs> but I believe that there's grace in God, and I'm going to find it, and I'm going to take you to the waters that I'm drinking from. Yeah. So what I would say is create that culture by pursuing them young. If you didn't, I'm going to talk now to parents very quickly of 10 to 18-year-olds. If you haven't been there, 
approach them on your knees and ask for forgiveness. And acknowledge that a lot of the reason they're resistant to a relationship with you is you've trained them for 10 years to not need a relationship with you. Yeah. But all you can do uh, instead of mourn your past is to practice wisdom today yeah. and just say, hey, listen, I realize that we don't have the relationship that God intended me to have with you to give you part of the provision which is going to help you through this situation in life. So will you forgive me? And I'm not going to tell you I'm going to change. Just start to change. Mm -hmm. But Alex is exactly right. One of the most tender times that you can have with your child is when they're laying themselves on their bed at night and you go sit there. And don't let them tell you, get out of here, leave me alone. Okay? That's a test to see if their insecurity and anger mm -hmm. is enough to drive you away. And I want to tell you, I promise you, they are hoping more than anything else that you stay. And so you don't stay long, but just stay and say, hey, I understand why you're maybe a little angry. I just want you to know I love you. I'm going to leave in just a minute. But I'm here to tell you again, will you forgive me for any of the stress that I'm causing you? And can I just pray for me so you know I'm trying the best I can? And you do that consistently, and you're going to watch how long they lay in bed awake until you get in there. So, Todd, you touched on something that it was kind of a, one of the questions we got, and maybe some uh, Bo or, or David, you guys could speak to this, but, um, you know, it's, hey, I struggle with anxiety. As a parent, this is a struggle for me. This is something I would pick up that issue sheet on Monday night at Regen for myself. So what can I do? How can I lead out and help my kids not be anxious when I myself am anxious right now? What would you say to that parent? Child, I'm starting. You can jump in. Um, and so this really goes to something that Todd and I were, were talking about earlier today, uh, which is, you know, those, the things that you have seen and heard uh, practice these things, right? Follow my example as I follow Christ. And so we need to model that. Uh, so part of it is if we want our kids to be authentic um, with what they're struggling with, then we need to be authentic. Uh, but it can't stop at just saying what our struggles are or telling our kids that we've, we've heard what they've shared with us. But we need to say, let's look to God's word and remind ourselves of what is true, um, that there is hope in the midst of that. And so part of that is memorizing scripture and saying, what are, what's the scripture that I remind myself is true? And then having our kids remind themselves of what is true. Uh, and, and one of the things I like is in Psalm 56.3. And so this is where uh, David um, is under um, attack and danger by the Philistines. Um, and it says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And, and I like the way that's written because he is making a promise to himself now about how he's going to deal with something in the future. He's preparing himself. Um, we, we don't figure out our theology on something in the midst of a temptation. Yeah. Right. The, well, the we do set. sometimes, right? Yeah. But we won't figure it out very well. We won't figure right? it out well. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of like you know, hey, how far is too far? You don't you don't try and figure that out. Yeah. Friday night at far. eleven o'clock after the movie started. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so with that, I think once you do that, practicing with your kids and and at different ages, that practice looks a different way. And so if there's anxiety around going into a room, you could say, hey, like. You know, when I go into some rooms around some people, I have some nervousness as well. And so before I go in, this is what I do. Let's pretend like we're going in that room and introduce yourself, right? And, and just get practice with that. 
Um, and whenever um, there, there are failures, uh, reminding them of where their value and dignity is, and, it, and it's not in that moment, but who they are in Christ and affirming them and reminding them of grace yeah. so they could go in again. Yeah, that's good. Here's what we're guilty of is spending all of our time on the first two questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do have an that's answer good. to that second yeah. question of, um, yeah, I, I think what's already been stated is um, being open and honest with your kids about that. So if you're saying, hey, I'm anxious, how can I help my kid with anxiety? Man, be open with them. But understand, uh, one of the names for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so along with that openness, what's already been said is don't just say I'm broken. But say, and I believe that peace and healing and hope is found in Christ. And then model for your kids availing yourself to every resource that Jesus has provided to you. Uh, the spirit that he's caused to live within you. The word of God that, you know, as Bo said, hey, memorize and quote the scriptures to yourself. Um, that, that speak truth and life into you, um, and then the people of God. And let them see you sharing your life with others, saying, I'm going to these people, and these people are helping Dad with this, and this is how they have helped me, and this is how I want, and I want to see the body of Christ help you. Um, and so that's how I would answer that one. And then there's one other thought uh, back kind of on the first question um, of, hey, why aren't my kids opening up to me, or what can I do? I think one reason that we hear um, in students and small groups is kids will share stuff with their small group leaders and their leaders will say, have you shared this with your parents? I think you should share this with their, your parents. Oh no, I never could for two reasons. They don't understand or I'll get in trouble. Hmm. And so uh, for parents, I think what I would encourage you is to evaluate um, how you have responded to your kids in the past when they've been fearful, anxious, worrisome, have you just told them they're wrong to feel that way? Um, because that's going to shut them down the next time they feel that way. If they're just told they're wrong and corrected, they need you to enter into and understand what it is they're going through and then walk with them towards a solution with great gentleness and patience and careful instruction. Um, and so uh, if you have historically, maybe if you evaluate with your spouse, man, um, maybe in the past when they've struggled, our responses haven't been the best. Maybe the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that with your kids and seek to make amends. And then uh, with others speaking in your life, come up with a game plan for responding differently. Um, because I do think sometimes that environment of trust isn't there because trust has been broken before. And I want to make sure and point that out. Okay, Wes, and I'm going to just throw this out because I'm going to call Bull on this panel right now. I'm out there. I'm listening to this. He's a so nice, sweet Christian yeah. people up there giving nice, sweet little Christian answers. I mean, my kid's got a brain illness. He's mentally ill. He's been diagnosed with a mood disorder, an anxiety disorder, and help. Right? So great, Todd. Sit in the kid's bed. Great. Pursue your kid's relationship. But my kids are freaking out, and I'm freaking out, and I want to know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So how are we going to do it? All right. So I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know what I mean? I just, so what Todd, I, yes. One of the questions yeah. is how do we know if our child's anxiety is normal or if it's elevated to an anxiety disorder? My answer to that question is it's all a disorder and the disorder is sin. And you disciple your kids and teach them that no matter the severity of the problem, the source of the problem is the same. The all brokenness in this world is a result of the fall of man that has affected every single one of us, mom and dad and every kid in this house and every kid that you know. 
uh, is a victim of the fall and is a participant in it as well. And our only hope uh, is in redemption and restoration and new life that is delivered to us and we have it revealed to us in his word in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've got to pursue him together. I mean, is that bold or? And not only is it bold, I just want to let you know, when someone would say that to you, all right, that's exactly the right response. Okay, we're not giving these answers because we're Christian. We're giving these answers because they're true. And ultimately, uh, there are things you can do to mask anxiety and mask despair and mask depression. Um, but the solution, I mean, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, okay? Uh, and, and he does offer us what only he can give. Ultimately, this is a disorder that is there because of the fall. I said it that way initially because if I told you all anxiety was sin, okay, a lot of people would go, okay, so now you're gonna lay that burden on me, which makes me even more depressed. Sure. All right, but let me just tell you what's going on. Um, you know, in this a little bit. So there's lots of reasons that people who would study human behavior would tell you that folks struggle with anxiety, fear, and depression. And the folks that would study that would say um, that the way that our cultural story and narrative goes is, hey, if everything inside of you is shivering in pain and leaking out energy and there's weakness on you and there's... Um, uh, manic disorder or a, a deep darkness, you know, uh, in your life that they would say, Hey, we just watch people. We know that X percentage of people have this. Here's some Paxil. Take this. And what they'll do is they'll start you in a certain level. Okay. And then you'll feel better for a while, but you'll probably eventually not feel better. And they'll up your dosage until you're on the maximum dosage and they'll leave you there as long as that's the thing. Now, let me just say, that there is, there is a reality to brain chemistry. But let me leave brain chemistry for just a second and, and tell you that people who look at the things which lead to the things that we're talking about will tell you that upwards of 80% of the things have nothing to do with brain chemistry. And the truth is some of those other things are what changes your brain chemistry. And so we're going to talk at the end a little bit about medication. We've got some yep. researchers we'll push at you. But let me just tell you, let's, at the very least, we're going to, we're going to come back to the brain chemistry later. And none of us are clinical um, psychiatrists. We're not MDs. Yeah. But we can tell you what MDs have said. And, and what I want to tell you, first of all, is tell you what the divine physician has said, because even the best MDs will acknowledge that all they can do is mask some of these symptoms. And the people that get well are not people that mask symptoms. The people that get well are the people that run to the one who is going to bring peace, yeah. okay? And so um, don't be afraid to be what David just said, which is a person that's going to run them to Jesus. At certain stages, you might have to supplement that to give them a chance to deal with things because of how they've lived and where they've lived for so long, or in very rare cases, um, you know, I'll just say this, biology is not destiny. So even if you're predisposed to certain fears and behaviors. You're not predestined and enslaved to them, yeah. but you might maybe start at a, at a different place than some others, but let's run to where all people need to run. Yeah. Okay. So uh, where do all people need to run? And I will tell you um, what's really interesting about some of the studies that have been done on all this is the things that they will tell you like loneliness, all right. And disconnection 
uh, and, and a score of other things that I'll list in maybe a little bit later, you see that the solution to those things are found in the kind of behaviors that Jesus calls us to and that Jesus and his spirit provides for us. And so what we need to create is a community that, first of all, empathizes and listens, and, but then don't start with the world's solutions. Start with the solutions that you have in Scripture. And if you don't know the scriptural solutions, and you don't know what Jesus offers, again, that's the first and best thing you can do for your child, is say, I'm going to go and start with where God is, and we're going to work our way back from there. All right. So let me just hit pause. I know you got a list of questions yeah, yeah. and these questions, these answers will all fit in there. But I wanted to throw that out there just a second ago. What I mean by that is kind of shake us a little bit and go, hey, man, my kid's freaking out. My doctors told me I've got a kid with an anxiety disorder. It's a it's a and I'll, I'll just gonna throw this in there, too. When I speak, I separate what I would call brain illness from mental illness. And so for the purpose for me, extend me grace. The brain illness is that 20% or that two out of the 10 symptoms that, or, or, or issues that sometimes lead to uh, the disorder. But the other things have nothing to do with brain chemistry. And, and what I would say is those are mental illnesses. Now understand I'm using that differently than our society does. But I'm going to give a verse and then we're going to go back to the rest of us and what you've got. Here is the mental illness. It's the way the world thinks. It's the way the world operates. It's um, the patterns of this world. And Jesus, God says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. There's something that is real in almost every recovery community, and it's called stinking thinking, mm -hmm. right? And, and when we have a bad mind, or when we see the world through an improper lens, it does poison us and produce in our heart things that don't lead to God's intention for you. What's God's intention for you? The good life, the acceptable to the human condition life, the perfect life. And so the very first thing to do is to stop and ask yourself, how am I thinking about life? And the truth is, almost every single kid and person that I know that struggles with anxiety is starting with a bad theology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? And a good theology is, um, is, is something that needs to constantly be renewed. So one more verse, call me a simpleton, but this is what God's word says. Is again, there's a mental illness that is common to man. Here's the mental illness. The world tells me how to think. The world tells me how to operate. The world tells me how to find peace. I'm going to try all those things. I'll have more peace if I have more friends. If more people like my Instagram account. If, more, if I'm popular. If I'm cute. If that boy asks me out. If I get married. If I go to that school. Right? Do you, do you hear, even if I'm talking about this, like, holy crap, how do I keep up with all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the world telling us we've got to just stop and slow down. And what Jesus said, Jesus says, or Scripture says, the steadfast in mind, he will keep in perfect peace yeah. because his heart is set on him. So it says, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, if there's anything that's excellent and worthy of praise... Uh, let your mind dwell on these things. That's Philippians. Mm -hmm. And so what is true and what is honorable? It's the Lord and his love and his care for you. Yeah. And so you, I'm just telling you, we have to start by just stopping and go, okay, what's my idol? It's going to always leave me nervous and always let me down. It's a, it's a wilted reed. And if I lean on it, eventually it's going to either pierce my hand or cause me to collapse. 
So I'm going to tell you, we are not just um, not psychiatrists. We are Christians. And I promise you, science is going to come back. And they already are to where you Christians start. Mm -hmm. So know what God says for you. And we'll review some more of this. But don't fall prey to the world's solutions, which is, okay, your anxiety is because of your brain chemistry. Well, sometimes the things we're doing is what causes the brain chemistry. And if your brain chemistry is different to begin with, okay, that's not your destiny. Let's especially run to the God who wants us to recover from a less than glorious as God intended self. So let's talk about, uh, as you said, I mean, the ways that the world is impacting us, those yeah. things that are tempting us to yeah. conform to the patterns of this world. As we kind of look at this and as you do see in, in just the research of these, uh, you know, the increase in anxiety and all the things that, uh, that the researchers are telling us, you kind of see that there's three big categories. And so we're just going to talk through those three things that uh, specifically that there's this uh, exceptional pressure to succeed and achieve that our kids are experiencing in a, maybe a, a different way than they have in the past. Uh, two is just the, the presence of social media, electronics, uh, entertainment, and information at our fingertips at all, the t at all times. And then finally is just that diminishing sense of safety and security, which we can talk about where that's coming from because as we were saying backstage, uh, we're probably as safe as we've ever been, but there's a sense that our kids are experiencing, that that safety has gone away. And so I'd love for us just to kind of tackle each of those. Uh, and so going back to the first one, how, what are the ways that we can help our children deal with and not get caught up in the rat race of the anxiety, uh, or, I'm sorry, of the, of the achievement trap? Hey, I've got to go and achieve. I'm thinking about college when I start preschool. I'm uh, you know, trying to get on the best uh, you know, select sports team so that I might get a scholarship someday and I'm going to pay more for that select sports team than I would pay for college, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, you know, but can we just talk through what are some of the ways that you guys have helped your family to not get caught up in that conformity to the world? Sure. I'll um, start by just saying that I think uh, the parents are often uh, the major contributor in this area. Um, you know, if our kids hear us raise the value of academics uh, above being a fully devoted follower of Christ, uh, then that's going to be their, their first focus. And the same thing uh, with sports. If, if you're saying, hey, I'm going to get you on this team and we're going to go to all these practices and uh, we, we can't, you know, you can't really be in a small group because um, practice is on Wednesday night and practice is really important. Um, then what we're communicating to them um, is that those things are of the utmost importance, and those are all areas um, that, that focus on grading you in a way where um, there are winners and losers, and there is a, a first place, and there is a last place. Uh, and uh, I just think about, you know, how many of our kids uh, have anxiety, um, and they're struggling to, to go to bed at night, um, because they're really worried that they're not being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Um, that they, they really, it's like, man, I, I so want to be a city on a hill, uh, and I just, I, I'm, I'm not there. Um, I, there's a person at, at school that is hurting, um, and I did not point them to my hope in Christ. And so a big part of this is just the values we're, we're raising for them, and it could be in really small ways with the, the words we say, um, how we elevate our value for society and people in society. And our kids are pr very perceptive uh, to the things we value. Yeah. Tracy, I know you mentioned earlier that, that one of your kids specifically, this was an area of 
uh, probably the, the catalyst to a lot of her anxiety. Can you talk to us about that and how you and, and Van shepherded her heart through that? So one, one of our kids is an A student without trying. The other one is a C student, and they both told me I could say this. Um, <laughs> so don't think they're going to be mad at me. Um, is a C student, if no matter how hard he worked. And so we just didn't make grades a big deal at our house. As long as our kids, we knew they had done their best. If they did their homework and turned it in, if they tried, if they studied for their test, there were many times we had a bigger party for a C on a test than a hundred. And so we just were really careful about that because our kids were so different in that. But our daughter in particular, she put a lot of pressure on herself. And I talked to her about it this week, and she said, and she's 24 now, she said, um, y'all never put that pressure on me, but I put it on myself. And she said, because I didn't deal with it in high school when I could manage it, because it was all there and I could control it, once she got out into the real world, there were too many variables that she had no control over and that she couldn't manage. And it has led to um, a lot of anxiety that she has to deal with now. And she said to me this week, though, she said, but I'm thankful that my foundation was what it was, and that was in Christ, and that I knew the value of community, I knew the value of being in the Word, and all of those things I was taught as I was growing up. So I have tools to deal with that anxiety, but it was that pressure of had to, had to be the best on the standardized test, had to be the best grade in the class, had to win all the academic awards that she put on herself that has led, she feels like has led to the anxiety that she deals with today in the workplace. Yeah. Well, I want you to share, I heard you say it, I know you started down the road and I think you got pulled off. But when you start to think about the things that produce anxiety in kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, go through that list, like say, how many of your kids uh, are yeah. worried because, so go ahead. Yeah, we were talking about, yeah, just, you know, uh, how many of your kids are, are worried about school and, and academics? Uh, and a lot of people are going to raise their hand. That's a, a struggle in my home. And about getting on the, the right sports team and, and making that team, playing the position you want. Um, and then having the right friend group, getting invited to the, the right parties, having the right person ask you to a dance. And it goes through all those things and you, you go through uh, the one another's of scripture, spending time in God's word, reminding yourself of what is true, being an evangelist, being salt and light. Um, and our kids um, are, are not anxious about that. And I'm using anxious there in a good way, which is having a burden for those things. Um, they have a burden for these things that are that are of the world, and, and I'm reminded you know, when it's talked about in Scripture, uh, you know, those who love money will never have enough. Um, and you know, I step back and say, okay, it's money's in that passage, um, but it's those who love things um, that are apart from God um, that become your God uh, will never be satisfied. And so that could be academics, it could be friends, it could be sports. Um, but um, if we turn to God's word, and as Todd said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, just a, a transforming of the mind and pursue Christ, um, that will never let you down. And, and we need to raise that value. And um, when you get home, not always ask, how are you, how, you know, 
You, know, you have a test, have you studied enough? And the next day, hey, um, how'd you do on that test? Um, but just, hey, have, have you done the best you can? So I'm gonna, come, I'm gonna come behind Bo on this, and I really want you all to hear me. I mean, I, I, I think this may be the most valuable things I say tonight other than the scripture I've quoted, okay? Is you hear what Bo just said? When you hear your kids and you look at them and go, man, how are you doing? And, you know, and where are you feeling stress and anxiety? They're not gonna say, ah, I, I just don't feel like I have enough time to read my Bible because God just won't let me do that. I mean, you're just not gonna hear him say that. They might say I don't have time to read my Bible because either I've been taught the idolatry of good grades, I've been taught the idolatry of athletic performance. I've been taught the idolatry of uh, popularity and always saying yes and being where my friends are. Okay, your kids are going to tell you that that's what they're focused on, right? Um, and they're not going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious because I want to read the Bible. I just can't find one in our house. And so what you have to do is just say, hey, let's just stop. What, what do we know? Where is life? Let's just remind ourselves. See, the greatest sins that most people commit are not sins of action. They're sins of attitude. It's a belief where we adopt the idea that this thing is where life is. That belief, that attitude, that's the stinking thinking. That's the world's conformity. And what the job of a Christian parent is, is to pull back, right? So here's the thing. I mean, listen, 90% of the things that we worry about are never going to happen. And the 10% that do, we couldn't do anything about anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And so the old statement, worry doesn't rob, you know, um, rob today of its sorrows. It robs tomorrow, or tomorrow of its sorrows. It robs today of its strength. And so what your job is, is when your kids are freaking out, it's normal, right, to freak out about grades and popularity and dates and looks and futures. You got to stop them. You just gotta, that's why God has you there, godly parent. Mm-hmm. And just go, wait, stop, stop. What does our loving God say to us? I don't have any idea, Mom. I just want to. Okay, let me remind you. And you lead them to the fountain of living waters and you pray. Look, it takes as much energy to worry as it does to pray. So you may as well do the one that's going to lead to life and not death. I was just going to say, I got a little bit caught up in this this last week myself. You don't even know this. But um, one of our kids, uh, I'll just say who it is because he's the only one at home, camp, um, was struggling in a class on one specific test. And I let myself go to, I'm I'm just going to tell you what the train of thought was here because it hits all of these things. It goes, okay, he's not going to do well in the class. He's not going to get to play basketball. He's not going to get the GPA that, you know, for the college that he wants to go to. And I let myself go there and I sent it just a, casual text to a friend about the class, and I said, gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And here's what her response was back to me, and it, I think, is, was so good. And she's not in my immediate community, but she's in a layer of community um, around me. And um, she says, her quick response was, this is my new favorite scripture. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And that's Matthew 17, 19. She, then she says, ask Jesus, he will guide you both. And I was like, wow. That kid, uh, you know, I, I kind of expected her text back to me, like, to give me some, some solutions. Here's what I think you should do. But she t- sent me to God's word. And that just 
impacted me, and I want to be that friend to other people, but I was like, thank you, Becky Sherwood, for telling me that you've got faith. Be strong in your faith. So, okay, so do you hear what just happened? Okay, that's biblical community, which is what God wants parents to provide for their children. My dear, loving, godly wife, who in many ways is a mentor to that person, right? Or at least, you know, I mean, Becky would say, you know, Alex, you're one of my spiritual, you know, know, heroes. I would just say that what she did, she took her, Alex is feeling this anxiety, and what did a friend do? She didn't jump in the crazy pool with her, right? She was not just a stress de-amplifier. She just said, hey, let's not be conformed to the world. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And she took her to a simple verse. And what I just heard my wife say was, and it brought me down. Mm -hmm. And it made me go, yes, Lord. Mm -hmm. Right? And and so I'm telling you, guys, this is not rocket science, but it is brain surgery. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. So you've got to teach that mind to operate correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think with that, what are some of the, those passages that we got to take kids to? Uh, those truths that they need to hear in the midst of, I got to perform, I got to, uh, but I love the way that you're talking about, hey, we're, we're trying to reframe the conversation in our home yeah. to reposition what is most important, which I think does come back to the parent. What are the questions I'm asking? What are the things I'm showing the most interest in? Yep. Right. Uh, but it also comes back to, hey, what are the responses that I'm giving? Am I responding to the chaos of, uh, you know, a, a grade that might not be ideal mm-hmm. with, okay, what's the solution and jumping to that? Or am I going to truth? Am I going to prayer? So what are some of the ways that you guys have done that with your kids? Sure. Uh, so, so one, like we mentioned the, the passage in Psalm 56, three, where, you know, uh, David says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And so that's one, or um, was it in first Peter, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about what happens to you. And so when, when our, our children are worried, say, have you, have you brought that to the Lord? Have we prayed through that? Um, when we start bringing in um, what the world's uh, telling us, uh, like, oh, I've got to do well in this class or whatever is, right? Well, is in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, the, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, right? And so, all right, have you, and when I look at that passage, all right, have you taken what people are telling you and run that through the, the sieve of, of God's word and said, is that, is that true? Um, and so that would be another one. Or sometimes stories, particularly with, um, with younger kids, sort of taking the, the, um, some of the historical passages. And so what, like Exodus 14 uh, with Moses, and that's when they're coming up against the Red Sea. Um, and, and Moses did all he could, and he turned to God, and there were certain things he just could not do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be faithful what I can do. God, you've told me to come to the shore of this water and, and I can't go any further and I'm, I'm relying on you. And God took care of the rest. And, and, and we don't want to use that passage to, the, uh, to, to teach a, um, a prosperity perspective of, of I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and then God's going to give me whatever I want. Um, but just say there are limits to what we do and then we just need to rest in the Lord. Um, yeah. or uh, confessing our sins, just recognizing, as we said, that in anxiety, um, as with all of our issues, there is a, a sin component of it, which is um, we are not trusting what is true of the Lord, um, and we are setting our sights on the things of this world. And so 
asking them about confession in the midst of that, uh, for what they need to own, uh, where they are believing the lies of, of this world. Yeah, and I think with that, I mean, uh, we've talked about some of those symptoms that you see of anxiety, and sometimes just asking that question, hey, is there anything going on you know, that you need to let us know about? I'm, I've had those conversations with my kids where just in the midst of chaos or misbehavior or whatever, I go, this probably isn't the real thing that's happening here. And so, hey, is there anything, is there confession, is there something going on, is there a bully at school, is there, and trying to go back, you know, to those things with our kids to, and then to model that for them. Hey, I, I've been anxious in those ways too before, and, and maybe I have today, and I need to confess that to you, but modeling that. So uh, there's lots that we could camp out on there. We're going to move on. Well, let me, before uh, yeah, you do that, sure. I'm gonna, let me have that, Tracy, in your lap, please, because you're too yes. humble to give it. So when we start to ask about verses, all right, uh, this right here is something we're going to make available to you later tonight. It's the appropriate time to say it, so we have to sure. go through it. It's called Not Alone, and it's a book written by Tracy Beckwith and, and Suzanne, Suzanne Sanderson, Sanderson, who's uh, on our team here also at Watermark. Tracy wrote all of our children's curriculum with some other folks, zero to five, and um, just raking in the cash and royalties. <laughs> <of> the <laughs> yeah. I looked to see if their names were on it. I didn't yeah. see it. No, they're, no, they're not. But I would tell you, the back of this book, all right, uh, is memory verses, you know, is A through Z that will uh, answer the question that Wes asked. And we're not going to read yeah. all of them to you. But um, I will tell you, you know, um, just God's word, which that text came back quickly from Becky. And God's word ought to just come out of you, mom and dad, and stop and remind yourself of things that are true. Yeah. Okay. The size of your worry list is directly disproportionate to the yeah. size of your God. Yeah. And yeah. you want to keep reminding yeah. yourself who your God is. Yeah. When you started this, Wes, you um, talked about the map of hope. Mm -hmm. And the map of hope is Jesus. Yeah. His name is Jesus. And, um, you know, at the front of this book, which um, there's not just 26 verses. There are over 145 verses. I stopped there today. Um, I, start, I tried to highlight them, and I literally ran out of highlighter ink. There were so many verses in this book. But at the beginning of this book is the gospel, and you have to start there. Yeah. You have to start there with yourself, because if you don't believe um, that God's a provision for your sin, then this book doesn't mean anything to you unless you believe that. And so you've got to start with the gospel and then share the gospel with your kids. Yeah. And one more plug for the book, and we'll move yeah. on. Uh, it, it's not just a book, it's a, it's a workbook. And so for those of you that have smaller children uh, where, you're, where you can't just quote a verse to them and that means something to them, uh, this has like discussion questions and even activities that you can work out with your child to teach them the principles of God's Word and then, and then to memorize those verses with them together. But it's not just for little children. It's a resource that can be used all the way up through, and it'll benefit you to go through it as well. It is excellent. So you guys are on page three, and I haven't even gotten past page one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to uh, uh, kind of our next thing. And David, I am going to toss it to you because you're the expert on all things social media because you're on there all the time. But uh, this is... And thus the most anxious person on the panel. Exactly. Uh, except that I keep trolling him, and so I'm probably just as anxious as him. <laughs> Uh, but this is something that our kids are facing. They, they do have these, uh, the ability to be voyeuristic into the lives of lots of people, their friends and peers, people they've never met and everything in between. And so what are some of the best practices that you've seen, David, as parents help their kids navigate this world of 
phones and social media and all that. So take us through some of Look, that. The, the dangers are many and too many to outline right here. Uh, I'd point you to a resource that I'm sure will be sent out. Um, we did a blog post and there's a message that goes with it and it's called the, the top 10 biblical apps. Clever, but we mean applications, uh, applying God's word uh, for Christian teenagers. And it's just 10 scriptures that inform uh, how you should view and interact with social media in 2019. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to read and process through that, uh, I think that would be really helpful on this topic. Um, we are called to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you cannot train um, your kid how to deal with social media and technology um, if you don't understand uh, all the pitfalls that are there. And so you've got to do your homework um, you've got to educate yourself, and we've got resources to help you do that. Um, and, and we just have to understand it's a reality of the world that we live in, and that as Christians, we are not residents of this world. And so to continue to teach our kids an eternal perspective, um, as has already been stated, um, and to lead them to be citizens of heaven and aliens and strangers in this world, and understand from an early age in everything we do, not just social media, but we are going to do things differently in this family. You're, you are setting the temperature in your family. You're, you're setting the culture. And we're going to do things differently than all the rest of your friends at school. So when you come home and you say, everyone in my class is on the group chat in third grade and fourth grade. Well, sorry. We're not everyone. It means the old, if everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you, would you jump off a cliff? No, you wouldn't jump off a cliff. So uh, everyone else in your class, I'm sorry to say, is stupid. And their parents are fools. And your parents are not, I'm sorry, your parents, your parents are not fools. Your parents are wise. And we're going to protect you and we're going to lead you. And we're going to teach you how to deal with this. And when we get to the point where we think you're mature enough and trustworthy enough, we're going to guarantee that you're going to make mistakes and going to be hurt by it. But we're going to let out that rope a little bit as you get older. And we're going to walk with you through it. But not now because you're in fourth grade. And no other fourth grade parent is doing it. So what? We're going to love our kids with wisdom and truth. Um, and so it's your job to do that. So that's all I'll say to that. We got resources to help you with that. Yeah. But social media contributes to anxiety. Certainly does. Yeah. I mean, in, the, a, the, in a myriad of ways. Yeah. The, the reality is so another resource I'll point you to is a practical guide to culture by John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel. It was a really helpful book for understanding a lot that's going on in our culture. And in that, he just talks about the social media is it used to be that the popularity contest ended when I came home from school. I could kind of relax and, and all that. But now we, we literally have a popularity contest, our kids do, going on 24-7. If we are not being wise, as you said, David, and not conforming to the pattern in this world mm -hmm. as parents and leading our kids to help them to understand how to use this tool, because it is a tool. And like any tool, it can be used for good purposes and can be used for evil purposes. Here's and a good so, purpose. Yes. I'm sitting here. I was just on social media. Yes. And literally right now I tweeted out at words from wags on Twitter, uh, a little resource called, um, how to deal with technology issues in your family done by Wes Butler hey, that guy. at dad, you at watermark. Yes. So yeah. if you want to hear a great talk on that, uh, just go and hit that link. And it'll take you right to notes and 20, 30 minutes or, or more yeah. on this issue that takes that book and other resources and breaks them down for you in 45 minutes and it'll drive you to get more. So there's a resource for you. If technology is overwhelming you and you've got to be an expert on technology, 
You got to learn from David the resources he produced in student ministries and thing this thing called Dad You that you can find there at that link will help you. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on it is great. You know, (laughs) one of the pitfalls that I think contributes to anxiety is the second most popular issue sheet at Regeneration for Students, which is lust and pornography. And I think students getting uh, the claws of lust and pornography uh, into their lives and getting trapped and enslaved by that sin causes anxiety. Um, it, It is one of the causes of anxiety. And the primary avenue through which kids are accessing that is this porn machine that parents just give them unrestricted to carry around in their pockets. And it's foolish and it's harmful and it's dangerous and as Christian parents, uh, we've got to do better. I'm, and, yeah. I'm watching, we got 20 minutes. And, I, and someone's out there like, they've got to answer this. Wes, what are the things on there that you know if we don't deal with, we're going to not serve our people well? <laughs> well, there's, there, there's quite a bit. I, I do want to say uh, another resource, Todd, you did talk about uh, on Real Truth real quick with uh, Dr. Moore, when do I give my kids an iPhone? Because I do think for a lot of these young parents, they're trying to figure out when is the right time for me to do that. And, and the cultural pressure, yeah. the conformity of this world is, man, first grade, second grade. I mean, kids are walking into elementary schools with iPhones yeah. with, as David said, no limits on them. And, uh, and so this is a great resource. And I'll add too, to. I mean, it's not just that the kids need, I mean, we need to practice what we preach. Yeah. We, need to gotta be the, we need to be the example for Yeah, Alex, us. you said something one of your kids said to you. Uh, oh, yeah, my, uh, camp again. Um, he says to me occasionally, uh, Mom, hang up and hang out. And he says that to me, and I'm like, okay, I am, I, I'm. You say, shut up and go study so I don't have anxiety. <laughs> text my friends. <laughs> yeah. Makes them have to bring me down. But it's a, it's a great thing right? for him to say to me because he's holding me accountable um, to the very thing that I am on him about. Yeah. And, um, and then two other just quick things. is One, yeah. day, one day I was in, going, walking into Love Field, and I walked through the airport, and it was the eeriest thing. Every person had their head down. And I think just a simple thing to tell your kids is, like, look up um, and engage. And so, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm so convicted by it. And um, I haven't been on social media on my phone for like two minutes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See, and that's what, that's what prompted me to even say that is yeah. because like I know you're, you're unique in that you can kind of keep this, you can hear, you can text, you can tweet and all that at the same time. But um, that's, we, we need to slow down on that. Yes, ma'am. Both of us. Good. Listen to your son. Okay. Hey, let's, uh, that, that third area is uh, just the, the sense of safety or the sense of lack of safety that our kids are experiencing. And so, I mean, gosh, just as, you know, going back to Sunday, right? We've got kids now who have anxiety over tornadoes that perhaps didn't, uh, you know, so everything from natural disasters to things that they're exposed to and see on the news. And even if they don't see it on the news, their classmates are going to talk about uh, the latest tragedy. Uh, there's things like bullying and there's, I mean, just all these things. So how can we talk to our kids about these things, create a sense of safety, and yet acknowledge that this isn't a safe world? So I'm going to um, answer this. When, when our kids, was the Allie's grade that lost one of her classmates when she was a kindergarten mm-hmm. walking to school? Uh, you know, in our beautiful little safe community, a little girl was walking to school with her mom and got run over mm. uh, by a car right in front of her mom. And uh, it threw our, comi- our community into a tailspin. And uh, obviously, they had to explain to a bunch of kids in elementary school why this sweet little girl was not going to be there in their class anymore. Uh, 
And so uh, they brought in all kinds of experts. They had, you know, uh, individuals that were there at the big parent meeting. I mean, every parent was there. And by the grace of God, I had I'd been in the school and serving for a while, I guess, you know, and, um, and the principal asked if I would be there. And after all these parents got up and said, we need better crossing guards, right? They installed state-of-the-art, you know, flashing yellow lights. And, and we shouldn't let kids have driver's license because the kid that hit him was young. Until they're 21. I mean, it was just, and finally, um, the principal just said, Todd, do you have anything that you'd say to us? And, um, and I just said, yeah. And I just stood up and I turned and I faced everybody and I said, guys, everything you're doing is normal. And we just lost. I mean, our friends aren't here because they're home weeping and you know, some of us are there with them and everything we're doing is normal. We want to um, provide every protection we can for our kids in terms of better crossing guards and better lights and, and, and talk to kids about the, you know, the danger of driving. And um, I said, but if you go home and you tell your kids that we're gonna write big checks and we're going to change things, and you will never have to face tragedy and horror and death again. Um, you're going to really screw your kids up because this is a broken world. Yeah. And death happens. And sometimes um, a mom who's doing everything she should do watches her little girl get run over literally three feet in front of her. Mm-hmm. And I just said, guys, you just need to know something. You can't lie to your kids. You can't give them assurances that you can't back up. You need to know this is a broken world and the only solution is to know is a God who gives peace that this world doesn't give. And I had an amazing opportunity in a, in a very secular environment to tell people what will allow your kids to rest. Yeah. And so, listen, um, we live in a world where mass shootings are a real thing. We live in a world where tornadoes happen in our city uh, twice in six months near this campus. And... Um, and so we don't lie to our kids. We talk to them about what Jesus offers us. We have a congruent, logical, historical, proven answer to why there's evil. Yeah. And the God that is the solution to it. And so we grieve, but not of those who don't have hope. And we teach our kids a proper theology. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that will give them peace. Because if you promise them that you're going to make sure they never get affected by a school shooting, you're lying. And you should do what you can. Say, I'm going to do everything I can humanly possible. But you know this. We're going to sleep in peace. Because our God is with us and this world is not our home. So Todd, uh, I'd love to ask the panel then, practically, how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that doesn't create further anxiety. So, you know, if, if I do have that kid who's maybe more prone to anxious thoughts and maybe gets obsessive about certain things, I mean, I, I hear that from parents here often. My kid has heard this, saw this, and now they can't stop talking about it and they're obsessing about it. What's that balance of how we talk about that? Tracy, I think you've I got I think something. one thing that's important is that we're authentic with our kids and that we tell them, that tornado scared me. When I was in the closet, I was scared. But back to exactly what Todd was saying, I knew God was in control. He's faithful, he keeps his promises, and he's going to take care of me. But I think we have, to, we have to tell them how we feel in various situations, whether current or from our past, so that they can, they can know we've experienced that as well. Sometimes I think we have to role model for our kids, and not role model, role play with our kids. Sometimes when they're little, they may not know the emotions that they're feeling. So we have to give them words. When you were in that closet, 
the other night with the tornado. How did it make you feel? Did it make you feel sad? Did it make you feel scared? You know, give them actual words and then be patient and let them talk and listen and then follow up based on what they're saying. Yeah, that's good. I, I mean, Wes, somebody else? Again, I just want to go back. I mean, uh, I mean, God is our rock, and leaders take people to the rock yeah. of refuge to which they may continually come. Yeah. Uh, is the reason we sing songs. There was a great video. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, we had a bunch of gals up here on Sunday night when that tornado hit that were planning for a large women event yeah. that we're doing. And so, obviously, they were told, you could see it was gone from, what, Walnut Hill to Royal to Forest. It was on a direct feed line for this, this campus. And um, a bunch of folks, you know, those girls all got in a restroom. They posted the picture on YouTube. And uh, it was Callie McFarland and a bunch of the gals that were leading and planning. Probably about 25 girls piled in a bathroom. And, um, and they just started singing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, a dumb theologian would say, well, that's why God passed over this campus. Because they were singing, Lord, I need you. Right? Uh, in that moment. And it sounded great because it, it was Callie and her team and they were in the bathroom. <laughs> but, but let me just say something. There were people yeah. uh, in that Home Depot probably singing and praying. Yeah. And so what I just need to let folks know is, is had that building been knocked down and those girls with it, the God they needed was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what gives you peace. Yeah. But is it normal in that moment to go, oh my gosh, right? It's, yes. And so as long as you go, oh my God, let me focus on you, that's the only antidote. And I just can't, um, when, it, when, when somebody's obsessing, um, you, you're stressed the amplifier, you hold them, you pray, you tell them that you understand that this is part of uh, producing something in you, and, and, and just let me, but let's obsess about this. If you walk in the counsel of the wicked, and our mind is wicked, Stay on the path of sin and sit in the seat of a scoffer. God doesn't care. He doesn't love me. Yeah. It's not going to go well. But blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. And people keep going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But besides that, what else? And I'm like, that's like asking me what, I'm dying of thirst. I don't want to drink. What can I do? Yeah. And I just, I don't got an answer. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't try and give one. Bo, how, how can we give our kids a, an understanding of just kind of the, the eternal hope in the midst of a temporal world? Because I, I do think that's part of what we have to, we can't lie to our kids and say you'll always be safe mm-hmm. in this world because Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. And so how can we help our kids to understand an eternal perspective and to balance that with the realities of their world? Absolutely. Um, it's a, a, a funny story I, I shared with a couple of the guys earlier today. Um, as, as the tornado was happening and we were heading downstairs in our home, um, our, our nine-year-old um, was really panicked. And uh, the next morning she came to us and, and uh, she is not a believer and uh, she understands the gospel and she understands where uh, she stands with it. And, and she said, hey, I, I, um, I almost accepted Christ last night. And we're like, interesting, <laughs> why is that? And, uh, and she's like, I, I really, I thought we were going to die. And, uh, and I know where, where you and mom are going, and that's where I wanted to go. Mm. And we're like, All right, so what happened? She's like, well, then everything was okay. <laughs> so, right? And, uh, you know, but, but you know, just a great opportunity to, um, to share about our hope. That's funny. Um, yeah. To talk about, hey, we do have troubles here. Um, but this is where I'm setting my eyes, 
And so, um, though the sort of the score in the game right now doesn't look good, I know the final score. I, I know where I'm going. I know who my God is. God is unchanging. Uh, and regardless of my circumstances today, uh, none of that changes. And so, um, how we respond to things and then reminding them of those words um, and being clear about what our hope is in the gospel. Um, and, and one thing I want to segue here, just because I, I think it's, it's really important as we deal with these things. Um, as parents, it could be overwhelming. Um, and at times, they think, am I the only one that's dealing with this? And, you know, is something just really, you know, unusual here, wrong here? And you have to have community. And so, um, if, if you're wrestling through um, anxiety yourself or uh, anxiety with one of your kids, uh, you have got to be completely transparent with your community group about what's going on um, and say, hey, do you see what I see? And they might say, yeah, I see that, but I, I, I see that in you as well. And, and so let's talk about, about that. And then as our kids get into uh, small groups uh, in the sixth grade uh, that that David and his team are doing a great job with. Um, you got to coach your kids to be authentic uh, with those that they're in community with about um, their struggle. Because um, a, a big part of this battle is just not isolating um, and being able to get help from people. And so a lot of kids that struggle with anxiety um, don't want to be in a small group, right? Because they're already anxious and that's a thing they're anxious about. And so I would encourage you to lean in appropriately and really encourage your kid um, once they're at that age in sixth grade uh, here to be in a community group, to jump in there. And even before sixth grade, them seeing you do that with your community, because uh, that's going to help them a lot. Um, because we're trying to prepare them not to just sort of cope or overcome anxiety, but how to wrestle through that. And we need community to deal with all the struggles in life. Yeah, that's good. So one of the other questions that we got uh, from these friends was just a lot about, hey, how do parents contribute to this? What, what is our contribution? We've talked a little bit about that, but, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the phrase that I'd love to maybe talk about for a little bit is just the idea of helicopter parenting. That's a, that's a trend that we're hearing about a lot in kind of our culture and, and how that might be contributing to some of the anxiety that our kids are experiencing. And so if I find that that is my propensity as a parent, how do I address that? Uh, what, what do I do with that temptation that, that is overtaking me in any given moment, and, and how, does, how does that impact my kid? Chase, you were about to say something, go. <laughs> well, what, back to, the, I'll, I'll say something on that. Yeah. that what, to piggyback on what Bo was saying, when your kids get to sixth grade and are in student ministry and are going to small group, it's not here at Watermark, and they have leaders, as parents, build into those leaders, get to know them. Don't just let your kids go be with them. For one, they're amazing people, but they want to get to know you. And I know with both my kids, had we not done that, when I needed to make phone calls to one of their leaders um, to have them help with something we were dealing with, it was a very natural phone call because they had all been to our home for dinner it just made it much easier. I didn't have to explain for 30 minutes about our family or what was going on. They had been around us enough. And so lean in to their community, your kids' community, as well as your own. Um, and then as far as helicopter parenting, um, I always say our goal as parents is to raise healthy adults. 
And if we overparent them as kids, I think we, we sometimes can um, cause roadblocks for them to become healthy adults that we need to let them make mistakes so that we can, as Boward David said, we can walk through them, through things with them and have that opportunity. If we, if we overparent them and are just hover over them and don't let them make mistakes, at some point they will be out there on their own without you and without you hovering and they will have no idea what to do. Yeah, there's a, there's a sense of arrested development. So a person that are addicts, a lot of times you'll see this, you'll see 28 year olds and 36 year olds that still act like 17 year olds because ever since they were 17, instead of facing life's problems and issues, they masked it with chemicals or alcohol. And you'll see the exact same thing in six-year-olds, okay? And, and 15-year-olds that still act like six-year-olds because mama has always, you know, come and airlifted them out and rescued them and told the teacher, well, I don't know what the problem is here, but it's not my child, right? And so there's another phrase, lawnmower parents, right? Yeah. Which is the idea that I'm going to mow down any obstacle in front of my kids so the path is easy. That is not how you form the human spirit. And so um, you have to realize that a lot of times your idolatry of your child always being happy. In fact, you know, a, a real truth real quick I did, the biggest mistake I see parents make is not only are they mowing down obstacles for their kids and rescuing them from trouble that the world causes them, they will never let that child experience what I would say is appropriate real world consequences mm-hmm. to their aberrant behavior. Yeah. Okay? And so... Um, you, you just you can do that to feel good for yourself, but you will be raising a handicapped child yeah. because they do not have the adult in their life that God in his economy intended for them. And so I just want to remind you, parents, you know, when you said that, how do parents add to this? A tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to overwhelm you, but the, the best thing that you can do for your child is be a fully devoted follower of Christ is to, if you're in a community group that doesn't know what to do, to raise your hand and, and call others in. And so parents, we have a lot to do with this, a tremendous amount. And the reason we have anxiety spiking, even in churches, is because churches aren't teaching their people how to deal with these things, right? So I'll throw another resource out since we're talking about it. There's a, a message I did, don't worry, this message is for you, which was at the very end of the book, uh, when we studied the book of Philippians, I'll I'll tweet that out when someone else is talking here in just a second. (laughs) Um, But but yes, we've got to to go, hey, listen, I'm going to do all I can. And still, my kids are going to feel a little bit, they're going to have to learn that, hey, anxiety doesn't, is not my friend. And so I've got to go, I can keep doubling down on worry, or I can go, what does God offer me as an alternative to the natural course of this world? Mm -hmm. And model it, and give grace, and embrace them and show them where life is. Sometimes you don't know you're a helicopter parent and you need those, that community to to remind you. And so that's another piece of, I feel like I'm so blessed with my community. Um, it's, it's, I mean, Todd is great and, um, with me and just pointing out things, but we have had some conflict over this in the, throughout the years. I mean, and, and I'm saying me, um, being more of a helicopter at times, and which I didn't even realize until, and, and maybe I didn't hear him well, but then that my community would surround me and go, yeah, th- this is what we see. This is how I think you ought to, you know, try to change that. 
I also think if we keep our kids from hard things, God can't work in them. And there are things in my kids' lives that I would have done anything to keep them from having to go through, but I knew it was what God needed to take them through to make them who they are. And there, at 27 and 24, there are specific, really hard things I can look, th- look at in their lives that I don't know that they'd be where they are today in their relationship with the Lord had they not gone through that. Yeah. And I'm glad I didn't Yeah, suffering is a key part of the human experience. And when we consistently remove the opportunities for our kids to experience suffering, not that we're thrusting them into it, but anytime we consistently are rescuing them from it, we're we're removing a means of grace in their lives. I mean, it is the point of discipline. It is Romans 5 and just saying, hey, there is a reason for the suffering and what it produces in you. It produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. And so, man, these are the things that, God has given us as a means of grace. And if we're consistently just rescuing our kids in the midst of that, we're, we're taking away an opportunity for them to grow and to develop as a follower of Christ. So. And I'll say with that, I think when we, when we do that and we sort of remove the opportunity for failure, um, not only are we um, not helping them with dealing with suffering and struggles and consequences, uh, but I often think we, we are uh, contributing to a very narcissist attitude about life if we say, okay, you, you, you don't need to go to your, your sibling's event because you need to study or um, you're not going to help with chores around the house because you need to be good at sports and you need to be good at school and all these things, um, is we're teaching our kids um, that the top priority is to accomplish your personal objectives and not to sacrifice for the good of others, um, not to sacrifice and prioritize the family. Um, which are really important things. Uh, you know, with, with eight of us in our family, uh, we often say um, we're always going to do what's best for the family, um, not what's best for you. And we have six kids, so you have a one in eight chance of feeling great about that <laughs> if you focus on yourself, right? But if you focus on the family, um, you're going to be really pleased. We're trying to do what's best for the family. Yeah. And it, 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 that's going to lead into what kind of husband or wife you are what kind of coworker you are, what kind of neighbor you are, and how, how you're a friend to people over time yeah. um, by realizing that there is something that's beyond yourself. Yeah. So, Bo, I want to uh, touch on this real quickly, and I think I'd love to hear you speak to it. Because you mentioned, hey, I have children who've experienced and really struggled with anxiety more so than others. And so when I, as a parent, when you, Bo, uh, have seen this in your family, are, are there expectations that it is appropriate for you and Natalie in, in, to, to change in the way that uh, you're, you're viewing your kids? Are there things that are appropriate for a, f- a family to change about schedule, life, anything? And then how does that impact others in the family who maybe aren't struggling in that Absolutely. way? Absolutely. Um, we, we certainly uh, do some things differently. Uh, we never want to be unbiblical uh, for the sake of um, accommodating a struggle. Uh, but you also want to be wise. And so, I mean, if we know that uh, we have one child that um, if he knows something that's going to happen, he's just going to fixate on that until it happens. I probably don't need to let him know a week in advance, right? And so waiting on those things until it gets closer, where they need to prepare, they have time to prepare, but not time to, to fixate. Um, communicating well, managing expectations. And so um, sudden abrupt change uh, or the unexpected um, is a real challenge. And so 
Uh, we're going to talk about those more with one child than with some of the others. Um, we have uh, some kids where we could just drop off and go, and then they're always like, oh, I'm going to walk out, uh, make sure things are okay, but then I'm going to leave. But I do need to make sure I leave because um, each of my kids need to learn how to, how to deal with stuff. Um, I think my expectation around how do they respond to something, um, I might have the same ultimate expectation, um, but when they struggle with it, um, you're going to respond to that differently, right? So if a, if a child does not respond to something really well um, because of their anxiety, um, it may not be rebellion where they're like, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm choosing to do this. Um, they're being consumed by unwise thinking. And so I want to redirect the thinking, uh, but I don't want to um, respond to that in the same way that intentional rebellion might deserve a response. Yeah, that's good. So just to, to kind of land the plane, try to get to a, a landing point, I, I do want us to talk on uh, a lot of the questions were about, hey, how do I know if this is just kind of normal anxiety that my kid is struggling with or if it's elevated to a, a heightened level? And, and so, Todd, you started to touch on that at the very beginning there. Uh, and so I, just, I wonder, if, how can we help our friends who are, are questioning that and wondering, gosh, is what my kid is experiencing, is it at a level that I should be perhaps more concerned than I am or maybe I'm more concerned than I should be? Help, help these parents. Uh, how, how can they discern that? Dave and Tracy, I want you both to comment on this, but I'll just start by just saying this. Uh, don't make your first move to isolate, okay? Which is the tendency that most of us have, which is, oh, I'm a failure to parent if my child isn't this beautiful, well-adjusted future adult, right? And so the first thing you want to do is just talk, right? And, and, and ask other friends and bring others in and say, if you observe this, do you think what we're seeing is you know, out of the normal or a little bit over the top. And, um, and what are some things that you think I could do? I would start there. Don't immediately isolate to the world's solution. Pediatrician, who will reference to a counselor, who will reference to a psychiatrist. And meanwhile, you're hoping it goes away so that no one knows what your child is dealing with. That'll create anxiety in of itself, that we've got to keep this down. I mean, I've seen people lose their lives lose their lives because they felt like they couldn't share with other people uh, what I would say is a temptation that is common to man. Yeah. And so anxiety and worry is normal for the human condition. And no temptation to believe that God's not there, because that's what I tell people all the time, right? Worry is believe God's not getting right. Depression is believing that God got it wrong. And so now I just got to live in this muck that is my life. And, and so the first thing you don't want to do is isolate, okay? Bring others in. So Tracy and David, you want to talk about what's outside the scope of normal anxiety that moves to the disorder? Yeah, you, parents, you don't want to be anxious about anxiety. Uh, and what I'm about to say might make you more anxious. Um, but what you're observing is probably just the tip of the iceberg. And so there's probably more beneath the surface that even your child uh, doesn't understand what's going on. Um, and so uh, creating those environments where um, you are a person that they know is a safe person, that they can trust, that's going to care for them appropriately, that's job one is creating that environment. And then if you see something that is concerning to you, um, 
Don't let fear distance you from it and hope that it'll go away. Lean into it. Ask a lot of questions. Show them that you really care to know them and know what's going on and help them know and understand themselves. And then widen the circle. Bring in others to help give you and your child uh, perspective on what they've experienced and what they've thought about that experience and how it has affected the way that they feel about their everyday life and their circumstances and how it's affected them physically. And, and let others who are outside of the immediacy of your family and your home uh, observe and speak in and ask questions. And depending on their age, that can be other uh, you know, adults that you are friends with. That can be people like us. We'd love to come alongside you and support you in that. Um, and as they're older, that could be their small group leaders and even peers in their small group uh, that you know, love, and, and are good friends to them. Um, but widen the circle. Galatians 6.2 calls believers to share one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. First um, John 1 calls us to walk in the light as he is in the light. It says that is the way for us to truly have fellowship with one another and to experience uh, healing in Christ, is to let the body of Christ enter into whatever situation that you're facing. So um, does that answer? Or, I mean, that, that would be my answer, Trey. Yeah, I would say, um, in addition to all of that, really lean in. Um, like Todd was saying, don't isolate. When we got that phone call that when the volcano had erupted on the Watermark ski trip, the very first phone call we made the next morning was a conference call to our community group. We all got together while the bus was coming home from Colorado. Our community was meeting with us to help us get a game plan of what our next steps were going to be. And as this process played out over the next few months, um, there was a counselor involved, there was medication involved, but it was never without his community and our community involved in it. And um, the men in our community group met with our son one-on-one, two-on-one. When he wasn't hearing our voices, some of those men were able to speak in. And it was a gift to us. Nothing we did during that time that was really difficult was done without the help of small group leaders and his, and his peers and us, you know, at a appropriate levels with the peers. Um, and it, it was an invaluable gift. And not only did it help us at the time, it taught both of my kids so much about the value of community. Um, and that community who may not be trained professionals can really help and make a difference and know questions and be able to see perspectives that those of us in the home and living in the midst of it didn't, didn't fully recognize right at first. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to throw this out here, be just, just for uh, folks who care. So if you're not familiar with the DSM, it's called the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, which is what the American Psychological Association uh, will use, or your trained LPC, your licensed professional counselor, that is the world's course and the world's solution to your child's anxiety, will use, okay, we're on <clears throat> DSM-5, which means we've changed what we use to diagnose certain disorders. You need to realize these are individuals that sit in a room, learned men and women, who basically roll marbles to vote about what we think is how we should characterize something. So just to let you know, in the same DSM, instead of saying that homosexuality is a disorder, which is what they had in DSM-1, DSM-2, and so on, DSM-5 will now say, no, homosexuality is not a disorder. 
People who think homosexuality is a disorder are the ones who are disordered. This is your world's manual. But let me just tell you, if you go see a counselor, okay, and what they're doing is they're participating in what's called observational science. And it's just a group of people that are working together in order to go, we think when we observe these things, we're going to give it this label. So um, if you want to know um, what GAD is, which is just general anxiety disorder, the label they'll give you, um, here we go. When assessing for GAD, clinical professionals are looking for the following. And there's three things, and one of them has five things after them, all right? The presence of excessive anxiety and worry about a variety of topics, events, or activities. Okay? Two, the worry is experienced as very challenging to control. The worry in both adults and children may easily shift from one topic to another. Three, and I'll give you some more on this. The anxiety and worry are accompanied with at least three of the following physical or cognitive symptoms. In children, all they need is one in order to get this diagnosis. Are you ready for them? Edginess or restlessness. Two, tiring easily, more fatigued than usual. Impaired concentration or feeling as though the mind goes blank. These are subjective evaluations. Now look, there are certain sociological tests that are out there that they've invented that help you diagnose this more than just observing. But impaired concentration or feeling as though the mind goes blank. Irability. What child have you ever had <laughs> so far that you wouldn't go, oh my gosh. Yeah. The earth has got gad. All right? <laughs> Increased muscle aches or soreness. Difficulty sleeping. Now look, what you want to do is observe, parent, and you're going to go through seasons at times where you're going to see all of these things. When it becomes excessive and overwhelming, just acknowledge you've waited way too long. Okay? And so don't freak out. Don't isolate. But watch. And the first sign, right? The first sign, when the temperature goes from 98.6 to 99.1, we don't do open heart surgery. Okay? Yeah. And, and so uh, what we do is we bring all the resources to bear in. And it is true. There are some biological contributors to some of this stuff. But they are very, very unlikely to be the ruling factors. Which gets a good transition to where we want to go next. I'm just telling you, gang, don't get overwhelmed with labels. Don't let people label your children or label you. Yeah. Okay? But don't let yourself be labeled with... You can't be honest about this stuff because that is going to make you anxious. It is the recipe for creating anxiety. And so when it says confess your sins to one another, it says, and pray for one another so you may be healed. Christian, pick up your OTNT, not your DSM, and find the peace that God wants for you. It'd be Old Testament and New Testament. That's what so, I was okay. thinking. Okay, yeah, I was just making sure. <laughs> Pick up your NAS, <laughs> not your DSM. <laughs> That's good. So, uh, you know, on that, so we did get questions about medication and counselors and when to do that. Todd has done two real truth, real quicks on those topics that honestly, I, I told him, I go, I don't think you can do better than you did uh, on those. And so those will be in the blog post, the email that you'll, you'll get. Uh, where you can watch those and just help yourself, educate yourself on, man, what do I do with this? As well as episodes on uh, how, why does God allow tornadoes and hurricanes and natural disasters? Why does God allow mass shootings? So, so that you know as a parent and are able to teach those things uh, to your kids. And so uh, that said, one of the resources that we do want to let you know about is Regeneration for Students. And so that is a, an amazing resource for our students 
uh, now that, that David and a team are putting together. So David, anything you want to tell these guys about that? And, and hey, if that is something that their kids are interested in, how can they get uh, signed up yeah, for that? Yeah, it's cheaper and faster to just read Never Alone. Uh, not alone. Not alone. Not alone. That too. I'm coming back to that. I'm coming back. That's next. No, I mean, uh, you can go to watermark.org/region for students. There's a great FAQ on there. Um, I mean, what you need to know the basics are. It's it's offered twice a year in the fall and the spring. It's a 10-week introduction to the principles of recovery, and uh, we're we're teaching kids how to continually throughout their life walk the steps of healing given to us by God through the Bible. So we're, it's a discipleship program. Uh, hopefully, if you're not in a small group and on-ramp to understanding the gospel, coming into a relationship with Christ and being discipled in small group, if you are in a small group, uh, it's a chance just to, to get another perspective and, and other people speaking truth into your life and then to bring what you learn back in to your small group. So, I mean, that's Regeneration that's for Students, and it's amazing. Y'all, we, we are unbelievably and uniquely blessed in this fellowship um, to have... David leading, you know, our student team and what's going on. I will tell you, I think of all the things we've ever done here, and it's tragic to me and sad that this idea of regen for students is so necessary. It's really just dirty little inside secret of regen. All regen is is a discipleship program. And all regen for students is a discipleship program. All right? And uh, it's amazing because it's a fast track to biblical community. It's why you hear me say all the time, the healthiest people at Watermark go to Watermark on Monday nights. That doesn't mean that's where all and the only place healthy people are. But the people that are there on Monday nights know this truth. My life is, uh, I just don't have the ability to handle life's worries and concerns on my own. And I'm going to need help from a God who has said he wants to help me. That is step one. It is the first thing God said when he was on earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, for they will find the kingdom that God intends for them. And so the fact that we, you want to make, make yourself anxious, act like you don't need God. Because it just doesn't work well for the human soul. Because we know it doesn't work. Or create false gods that are no gods at all. That'll make you anxious. So we've got an incredible resource in David. We've got amazing guys that are leading us like Bo. We've got a guy who leads our entire family ministries who's got resource after resource for you, Dad, you. We've got Tracy who's written children's curriculum. Okay, and um, has done an amazing job with Suzanne writing that book. And you got the best looking pastor's wife in America. <laughs> what more do you people want? But seriously, guys, let's take, a, let's take advantage of this yeah. um, resource, the resources that are here. And I'm just so grateful to serve with you guys. I mean, I really, really am. Yeah. So this is a resource that we are making available tonight. This is the premiere, if you will. Uh, it's kind of a soft launch. We're rolling this out. When you leave tonight, we'll have copies of this book uh, for sale. And it is, it's an 11-week uh, study for kids and parents, uh, and I would say, or parents. Uh, I think this is something that, that I could go through as a dad on my own and be blessed by. But uh, as I was reading in the intro, the, the title, Not Alone, also encourages kids not to do this alone, but rather to do it with their parents. Yeah. Uh, and so these cost $15. That just covers the cost of printing of these things. Uh, right now, we don't have these available to order online. Uh, and so if you're watching online with us, uh, if you send us an email to parenting at watermark.org, uh, we're, we're going to just kind of uh, find out what interest is out there, uh, not here in Dallas. Right now, the only way to get a copy of this is to come to the Dallas campus and bring $15. And so... Uh, and, and listen, if, if really the only reason you can't get that is $15... 
just say, hey, first of all, I'd love somebody to meet with me because I, I can't afford the $15. And then secondly, I promise I will read this book. Yeah. All right? And if you'll meet with us and you promise to read it, you don't need $15. Yeah. Okay? But like Wes said, Tracy doesn't want and doesn't get, Sue doesn't get anything. It's just to cover costs and also to, I think, put appropriate value. But we're not selling books. And I would ask Tracy, what age do you think this is appropriate for beginning? You know, we... When we, were, when we started out writing that, we had elementary to upper elementary in mind, but as it evolved over the year that we wrote it, um, I really think almost any age child can do it. The younger the child, a parent will need to do it with them. Um, I think middle school and high school kids could do this with, in groups of friends, maybe as, a, as their small group. Um, and then I think parents can do it. So, yeah, so it's four it days really of the devotional, um, and it's fairly simple and, you know, chance to answer questions and just to be thoughtful about this along with an activity every week. And so Tracy and Suzanne have done a tremendous job of making this uh, a resource that I think you'll be blessed by. In the email that you'll get, we're actually sending out the, the ABCs of the scripture memory that are in here. And so you'll at least get that. Um, that you can look at and just go, man, what if we memorize these verses as a family that would help us as we struggle through uh, anxiety? That, that's a resource that's there for you. But uh, would you guys thank our panel for me and just thank these guys. Uh, Todd, I agree with you. We are a blessed people. Um, and so, uh, you know, as we wrap up tonight, I, we're going to uh, close in prayer. I'm going to ask David just to close us in prayer here in a minute. But, uh, you know, after that, I, I know that there are, um, you know, many of you that perhaps are here and you're just going, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And we would love to pray with you tonight. Uh, there'll be a handful of us just down front. Just go, hey, can we just, here's what's going on with my kid. Will you pray for us? We would love the chance to do that. And so will you make your way down front here at the end and we'll stay uh, as long as we need to uh, just to encourage you and to help you. And, uh, and then, man, if there are ways that we can help and assist you within your community group or whatever, you can send us an email at parenting at watermark.org and just say, hey, could someone jump in and help our community group as we're wrestling through this issue or whatever? And we would love to connect with you and figure out how we can support you. That is the, uh, the, the desire of our family ministry here is that we want to come alongside of parents to help you, to partner with you as we train up the next generation of leaders of this church. I, I love having Tracy Beckwith on the stage because her children, uh, her son is leading here in our ministry. Uh, this was a, a kid that was being raised in partnership with student ministry and children's ministry here at Watermark for years and now is leading here at Watermark. He is the next generation uh, of leaders of our church, even though he was just a C student. Uh, he, is, he is that next generation. And, and our prayer and our hope is that as we uh, come alongside of you, that the Lord will just continue to uh, allow that factory to churn out more and more leaders, men and women who are passionate about following after the Lord, who want to raise up that next generation that will come after them, the children yet unborn, Psalm 78 says, and, uh, and so, David, will you just pray for us to close out our time and thank yes, the Lord sir. for us? I'm going to pray a little passage from Psalm 73. It's my favorite place yeah. to turn when kids are struggling with anxiety. Um, Lord, uh, we just confess that the, the worries of this world oftentimes uh, make our hearts bitter and tear us up inside, and uh, apart from you, we are foolish and we are ignorant. Um, we are like brute beasts uh, before you, uh, yet... Those of us who know Christ can say we still belong to you. 
and that you hold our right hands and you guide us with your counsel. So we thank you tonight for the counsel that you've given us through your word and through your people. Um, And we trust that you are leading us uh, to a land beyond this world, to a glorious destiny. And we look forward to that. And uh, we just remind ourselves that we have nothing uh, in heaven or on this earth but you. And we desire you more than anything. And our health may fail, our spirits may grow weak, but you remain the strength of our hearts. And you're ours forever. And so we put our hope on that eternity. Would you help us as parents uh, point our children to that? And guide them to that each and every day. And to be faithful uh, to do everything you've called us to do. So would you help us remember what is of you from this evening and forget everything else as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming. Again, if we can pray with you, come and join us down front. Uh, But you you guys have a great night. Hey, yeah. Thank you, guys. This The other thing we got at Watermark is great parents that give up a Thursday night in the rain to come here like this. Mm -hmm. So way to go, Mom and Dad. Proud of you. Hagwell. Had a great week of worship.